Welcome back to another episode of Classic Movies Live. On today's episode, uh, we're gonna we're gonna close out the year more or less. This is our mid-season finale, kind of, because how on earth do you top Citizen Kane, which is the movie we're talking about today? Uh, this is obviously a movie from 1941. If you haven't heard of it, uh, most people consider not most people, several critics consider it to be the best movie ever made. Uh, or if they don't consider it that, they consider it one of the best movies ever made. And uh, spoiler alert: uh, one of the people in our one of our reviewers also considers it to be on that list. So we're going to talk about Citizen Kane. Uh, we mostly don't go into like heavy spoilers, but like there's a little bit there. So spoilers for an 80 year old movie, but then also. Because of uh, because this is Citizen Kane, there is another movie that came out this year called Mank, which is about the making of Citizen Kane. So we're also going to talk a little bit about Mank and David Fincher. So get ready to hear our longest episode uh, where we talk about Citizen Kane, Mank, David Fincher, Orson Welles, uh, all of that good stuff. So here it is. This is the longest episode of Classic Movies Live. And right now, I am going to share with you some of the intro of Citizen Kane. Here it is. On the mark! Legendary was the Xanadu, where Kublai Khan decreed his stately pleasure dome. Today, almost as legendary as Florida Xanadu, world's largest private pleasure ground. Here, on the deserts of the Gulf Coast, a private mountain was commissioned and successfully built. 100,000 trees, 20,000 tons of marble are the ingredients of Xanadu's mountain. Contents of Xanadu's palace. Paintings, pictures, statues, the very stones of many another palace. A collection of everything. So big it can never be catalogued or appraised. Enough for ten museums. The loot of the world. Xanadu's livestock. The fowl of the air. The fish of the sea. The beast of the field and jungle. Two of each. The biggest private zoo since Noah. Like the pharaohs, Xanadu's landlord leaves many stones to mark his grave. Since the pyramids, Xanadu is the costliest monument a man has built to himself. Xanadu's landlord was laid to rest. A potent figure of our century. America's Kublai Khan, Charles Foster Kane.
Its humble beginnings in this ramshackle building, a dying daily. Kane's empire in its glory held dominion over 37 newspapers, two syndicates, a radio network, an empire upon an empire. The first of grocery stores, paper mills, apartment buildings, factories, forests, ocean liners, an empire through which for 50 years flowed in an unending stream the wealth of the Earth's third richest gold mine. Famed in American legend is the origin of the Kane fortune. How to boarding house keeper Mary Kane by a defaulting boarder in 1868 was left a supposedly worthless deed to an abandoned mine shaft, the Colorado Lode. 57 years later, before a congressional investigation, Walter P. Thatcher, grand old man of Wall Street, for years chief target of Kane Paper's attacks on trusts, recalls a journey he made as a youth. My firm had been appointed trustee by Mrs. Kane for a large fortune which he recently acquired. It was her wish that I should take charge of this boy, this Charles Foster Kane. Is it not a Johnson that on this occasion, Johnson, that boy, sir. Charles Foster Kane, personally attacked you after striking you in the stomach with a sled? <laughs> Chairman, I shall read to the committee a prepared statement which I have brought with me. And I shall then refuse to answer any further <coughs> questions. Mr. Charles Foster Kane, in every essence of his social beliefs and by the dangerous manner in which he has persistently attacked the American traditions of private property, initiative and opportunity for advancement, is, in fact, nothing more or less than a communist. That same month in Union Square... In the words, Charles Foster Kane are a menace to every working man in this land. He is today what he has always been, uh, and always will be, a fascist. And still another opinion. You're listening to another episode of Heatwave Radio's Classic Movies Live, the show where, except for a few weeks ago and last week, and most of the weeks coming up in the future, we exclusively talk about movies from 1941. Uh, today, we decided uh, it would be the time. It's, it's finally time for us to uh, watch the greatest movie ever made, apparently, uh, Citizen Kane. And uh, Pierre, what did you, uh, Pierre? You know what? I'm gonna. I got a hot take for you, Pierre. You ready for this sure. one? Sure. Hit me. Citizen Kane is a pretty good movie. I liked it a lot. Now, yeah. you know what? <laughs> Crucify me. I mean, that I I know that's a controversial opinion, but it is pretty good. It's it is really hard to believe that like what what is this? It's a 80-year-old movie now, an 80-year-old movie. 80 next year, yeah. 80-year-old movie that uh was one of the first like one one of the first films like talkie films in general. Uh, widely considered to be one of, if not the best film of all time, still holds up. Like under, even though like all that pressure and expectations going in, it still holds up extremely well. And like I, I couldn't believe it. I was, I was very drawn in. Um, and like I, I feel like some people might watch this movie and go, like, it's not like the best movie ever in terms of like. I feel like we've seen more. Um, I guess, like story-wise, more 
ambitious movies like uh but i mean for the time and considering like uh how many movies have been inspired by citizen kane to do anything like it's such a big it's such a big leap forward for or citizen kane was such a big leap forward in filmmaking that you still see it like it's influenced everywhere today it's crazy well and to be honest, it was such a big leap forward in filmmaking that like I've seen all of the elements of Citizen Kane executed better in later movies because I mean obviously the movie is now 80 years old. But yeah, like you would hope I don't so. think I, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But I don't know I couldn't off off the top of my head name a movie that like does everything that Citizen Kane does as good as Citizen Kane does. Like Individual elements, sure, but Citizen Kane does so many things uh, so well. Like, it's we're going to talk about all of these things, but the cinematography is incredible, especially for the time. The narrative structure is just, it's really interesting. And, like, I don't know very many movies that have, that could pull that off. Uh, the special effects for the time are actually, awe, like, just actually awe inspiring. And uh, obviously the story is really good too. So like, there's just so many elements that come together to make this movie so good that I don't, you know, is it, it's not my favorite movie ever, of course, but like, I understand why, why people still consider it the greatest movie ever made. Yeah. I like, on, honestly, well, I, I guess like the, one of the biggest things is that um, it, it just, it, it feels like a, a timeless story first of all like it, it ha kind of has a the story is very it, it's like a almost like a fairy tale and that it's it's like cinderella and that I, I feel like we've seen this type of story so many times but this was like the original done best if that makes sense um and like like you you can you can give it praise for all the other elements right but i i do believe that like the the screenplay and like was was really really just solid like I, I wouldn't say it's anything amazing but it's like it, it feels like a classic screenplay and mm -hmm. um yeah did you want do you want to tell us a bit more about that screenplay jeff well uh, what, uh there's a lot to say about the screenplay but i will talk just briefly about the plot um so this the movie citizen kane is about a guy named charles foster kane who uh, it starts at his death and charles foster kane has just died and the last words he said were uh, the last word he's ever said was Rosebud. So yeah, uh, this group of newspaper men uh, they they just elect one person to go out and find find out what Rosebud means. And while he's at it, he can find out who Charles Foster Kane was as a person because otherwise, you know, their story is just he was a great man and he was very rich. But they want they want more than that because that's not a very interesting story. They want to know the whole. They want to know what this guy was about and what did what did the word rosebud mean to Charles Foster Kane. So, mm. the course of that, uh, the newspaper man goes out and he interviews different people from Charles Foster Kane's life to try and find out about his life. So the whole movie is the life of Charles Foster Kane told through flashbacks that are all linked, like, they're all linked together by, they're usually relevant to some specific topic, but the storytelling is non-linear in that, like, uh, it, it's non-linear because 
you know, you'll see he'll he'll talk about he'll talk to one guy and that guy can account several different times in Charles Foster Kane's life, you know, from when he was a child to when he was very old. But like he doesn't know everything. So then he goes to the next person. And so over the course of this, you get a you get a picture of of Citizen Kane's life. But you, you it's never it's not complete. Um, and it's just kind of out of order. So you get like, so it's, it's sort of a, it's a story of this guy. It's, it's the story of Charles Foster Kane. And it's told through several unreliable narrators, you know, recounting what they know. Yeah. It's a, it's a, honestly a pretty uh, smart narrative tool. And that I, I feel like the, because uh, I, I think uh, at the end of the movie, he says something, the the reporter says something along the lines of there's no way you can capture a man's life with with uh, one word, right? Or something. Mm-hmm. And then it's something uh, like that, yeah. I, I feel like that kind of reflects uh, the movie in that they, I think, I feel like uh, the writers recognize that it was, it, it's kind of a fool's errand to capture the entire life of someone within within two hours. So what they did was they just they kind of divided it up into uh, uh, almost like chapters. It was it felt a little Tarantino esque, uh, and they were only the memories of what people had of them. So they weren't like it. This wasn't like a step by step telling. It was like it was more like here's some some small smaller stories that sort of that other people can tell you that add up to a larger picture, but it doesn't tell you exactly. Mm-hmm what was going on. So it gives, it gives it a little, it leaves a lot to the imagination. And I think that I helps like, it uh, so much. I like what you said about chapters because like, it's not, it, it is that way, but it's not chapters. Like this is chapter one of his life, you know, age 10 to age 20, chapter two, yeah. etc. It's, this is the chapter that, you no, know, like this is the chapter of his stepdad. This is the chapter of his ex-wife. So it's like, you get all of these different pieces and they're in some they're in order within themselves but like they don't fit together neatly yeah and uh i I think it was a little it it was a little confusing at first but i think it it did work out in the end because i remember the the first chapter is with uh i guess it was oh who who told the first chapter was it his it was his guardian i guess through a diary Through, Um, through his biography yeah, and I was a little miffed by that because I wasn't entirely sure what was happening due to, like, like the diary or when, when he was going into it, I wasn't sure who this man was and why he was important. Um, and then the first, the first little bit, I was confused as to what exactly happens um, in in the in the childhood scene where I, I'm I'm from what I can remember, it's just didn't his parents owe the bank money or something like that. No, his his parents came into a lot of money uh, because I think his mother had been his mother inherited uh, a mine and that mine turned out to be like a really valuable mine just kind of out of Mm -hmm. nowhere. So all of a sudden they had all this money, but they were also either already separated or getting separated. Um, So they thought that like this is not the best environment for this kid to grow up in but we can give him the best possible future by handing him off to this banker who knows what to do with this money. 
Oh, it was sort of a weird situation where they kind of just gave their kid away because they thought it would give him a better future. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that that was a little, I I was a little confused, but I guess it, it makes a lot of sense. I just didn't understand it. I, I don't know if that ever was a common thing, but it certainly isn't now that I know of. So like it did confuse me a bit at first too. Yeah, but that I, I think it was fine because I, I didn't feel like uh the the specific circumstances mattered that much. It was basically the gist of it was uh Kane Kane was taken away from his parents at a young age. Yeah, uh, when he didn't want to leave, right? And um obviously that has a profound effect throughout the rest of the movie. So, so like, and and then it, uh, that, that specific scene, it kind of goes through a lot of his life quickly. And that was also really surprising that you see him as a kid and then, and then the next scene is him at 25. And then the next scene uh, after that is him at like, I want to say he's like 40 or 50 when he's, I think it was like, he was basically, uh, his, his guardian or ex guardian. The rich guy was, a giving him complete control of the money, I think. Mm -hmm. Is that it? So like, so that was like, that that was a lot to take in in one scene. So it was a little drawing at first, but um, I think with the, the, the the next few characters to that kind of helped fill in those gaps, it really uh, helped a lot. And I I guess those scenes, because even though there was confusion, it it helped to make it more uh, interesting to find out what happened to. So like, uh, it added more suspense, I guess, to the story, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you already get you already get the bullet points right away. It's like he did this, then he did this, then he did this, and now you just got to find out how all of those things happened. Like, let's yeah. fill in the gaps. Yeah, and that that was a that was a cool treat. Um, and uh, yeah, and every like aside from the story, like I well, first of all, I, I do want to say. Also, on top of that, this it is a very weird telling of this, like a life story, in that it was very uh, abrupt with the, because we we kind of go from weird images at the start of of the big castle. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. Do you remember? Xanadu. Xanadu. Okay. So yeah, we get we get Xanadu and these crazy shots, and basically Kane dies at the start, right? And yeah. and then it goes to it's like a five minute newsreel of yeah I loved that actually yeah that was crazy I I I was really confused because like usually you see a scene like that in a movie and it goes on for maybe like thirty seconds just just to like uh, the purpose of it is like okay so we're we're uh, we're trying to show that the character died and that they were really popular right so then you'll get like news anchors talking about how this character died like five second glimpses. But this was like, like it felt like this was made for an actual news agency report, which it was in the movie's context, right? Yeah. And uh, it was a really cool device because then you go from, you, you get a really good glimpse of the entire, his life, but from what the public sees only, right? And, yeah. And uh, so you kind of, you're, you're kind of put in the shoes of uh, the everyday man in this, in this world that looks up to Kane or knew of Kane and his kind of uh, bigger than life public persona. And which is crazy because also I, I feel like it, it spoils, it technically spoils so many of the, the different plot points in the movie. And you're like, but I guess it's cool in that 
the the audience might go like oh so now we know a lot of this guy's life already but then you find out like what happened between these gaps in a more personal way and it gets way and then you start realizing like there's there's way more to people than just what we perceive of them on media or whatever um which is insane which is an insanely like uh top like it's still a very relevant topic nowadays too, which is also very impressive. So I think since we're already talking about it, I just want to talk, I just kind of want to gush a little bit about the narrative structure of this movie. Like this movie. So near the end, there's a quote by the, the guy who's trying to find out about, uh, Kane, the, the newspaper man. He says, um, like someone asks him, what have you been doing all this? Or did you find out anything about Kane? And he goes, not much. He says, so what have you been doing all this time? And he says, putting together a puzzle. And like, that describes how this narrative structure is. It's just the perfect description of it. This narrative, the, the movie is sort of, it, it sort of unfolds the story in a, in kind of a spiral, in, in sort of like a spiral. It's like the very beginning, the newsreel tells you everything you need to know about Citizen Kane. Like, as you, as you said, as the public would perceive it. The next thing, is from a soon to be public a soon to be published biography so it tells you a little bit more about what the public would know from like secondhand sources and then only then when you have like all of these different points and you know who this guy is or and you know what this guy's life is and what the events are only then do they start talking to people and like filling in the gaps and even then they don't fill in the gaps like okay we're going to fill in this entire area here. They go, they just fill it in like piece by piece so that you don't even have a complete picture of citizen Kane or of Charles Foster Kane until the end. And even then there's still a really important piece missing that I want to talk about later, but I'll get to that. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, aside from the, the narrative structure, uh, it ha- I, I will say like, it has amazing cinematography, not, not just for the time, but just like, um, like for like all time period. I, I can't believe I don't see more of this type of, of filmmaking, especially nowadays, considering like, you know, how many resources we have, but there's so many, the, the I, I think the biggest thing is, uh, is, uh, it's, it's directed. It, it reminded me a lot of Kurosawa. Now that we just, we just saw a movie of him with, of his in that uh it feels like every every shot is like deliberately and specifically tailored to fit everything that the scene is trying to do and um and there's just so much going on in every in every scene which i or not every every shot but like uh in certain shots which i love there's it's very it's very tough i i find to to find many movies now where there's not much more than just like the character talking in the camera. Uh, well, we've talked about this a lot. Like in like when we talked about the trial of the Chicago Seven, there's a lot of scenes where, if if you wanted to, you could like go somewhere else and just keep listening, and you would get the whole scene because all yeah. you're actually watching is Sasha Baron Cohen talking to Eddie Redmayne, and like it's good, but you're not missing anything if you don't actually watch it happen. In mm-hmm. this movie, like everything is specifically tailored to be like, no, you should be watching this because the visuals of it are just as important as the, I mean, as we already mentioned, incredible writing. Yeah, 
Uh, just like the the first one that comes off top of my head is like uh, when he's when uh, Kane is a child, and um, I guess it's it's the the rich guy I, or the banker uh, comes yeah, I, basically gonna, to adopt him, right? Yeah. What is his name? I should have I these mean, names in front of me. Uh, but yeah. Anyways, it's like it's all a really long shot. I I'm, I want to say almost the whole scene is a single shot, but it's not just the fact that it's like a one shot because like obviously we've seen the one shots are uh, are done a lot nowadays i find um it's just like in the first in the first uh, sequence when they're they're inside the house and you kind of you kind of get like three layers of uh what's it called i think it's blocking they call it where the, like the way the the way the actors are are positioned uh in view of the camera details a lot of their kind of uh position in the in the general conversation of like what's happening right and then mm -hmm. but you still in in focus you see through the window kane uh charlie kane when he was a kid was pl is playing outside in the snow and you kind of get this glimpse of like uh it's like it's like almost like his uh childhood is is like slowly disappearing if that makes sense um mm -hmm. and it's just such a it's such a crazy shot and there's so much going on and I love how it it doesn't make the audience focus on any one thing in that scene it lets you take it all in and uh it's really patient too and there's like uh like Kurosawa it's very it's very very much they place the camera down and then basically let the actors do their thing and right. uh not too many cuts mm -hmm. so yeah like that that type of stuff and then later in the film I love the the way they they filmed uh, the mansion. I, I want to say the mansion wasn't real, right? I mean, not real, but like I want to say the interiors, like some of them were were uh, not green screen, but like they were murals or something like that to Maybe. to mimic a bigger house. It, it gave me that sense, but there's it, lots it feels of cool like stuff. There was only there was only that, there was only a few rooms in that mansion that like needed to be built as sets. Yeah. So. I mean, like, I, I really wish that we got more of this this type of effort in cinematography in general. And, uh, yeah, like, it's it's crazy how, how much they were able to do, especially considering the... I, I looked into it, and apparently, like, movies before this were very static, and um, they were kind of, kind of... I guess they were shot more like sitcoms are were in the 90s, where it's a, it's a three-wall set, and it's it's kind of like the half the room is cut off and the camera the camera focuses on it kind of like a stage right whereas this uh this was very revolutionary in how much how much different and uh interesting camera work it it introduced all in one movie yeah and actually on that note there's a lot of different sets and scenes in this movie cuz i'm just comparing it to uh um, the other movie from 1941 we watched, The Maltese Falcon. And like mm -hmm. in The Maltese Falcon, you have interior, Sam Spade's office, exterior, uh, you know, an apartment building, interior, Sam Gutman's apartment building. So like you have a couple of different scenes and then things just play out there kind of like a, honestly, like a stage play. But like this movie could not have been a stage play. Yeah, I, well... I mean, you theoretically, re but like, <laughs> you, you could yeah, readapt like, it, but like, you know the, what I'm saying? The way it was shot, the way it was shot and, and like kind of, and, and written, it, it would be very, very hard to make this a, a good movie, uh, 
on a stage. And uh, I, I think that's, I, I think that I love that about, because Orson Welles, the director is, is, uh, was it, was a theater, was a theater writer, right? Or maker, a playmaker. He was a, yeah, he, he was a playwright, uh, a pretty renowned Broadway personality at the time. And he was like just coming off of being maybe the biggest radio star ever. So yeah, so uh, to go from the go from a completely different medium to completely like owning the and revolutionizing uh, the way these films were being made is like so cool. Hmm. And there's so yeah, much art put into it. I actually tried to like I tried to think of what would be comparable today and I really don't know like okay something can come out in the next couple of years that could be better than Citizen Kane in every way I don't know but what I'm trying to say is like Orson Welles going into this movie this is he's he's coming from old media at the time and going and like he's he's the biggest star in old media and he's coming into new media and just like poised to revolutionize the game and he does and i'm trying to think of what would even be the equivalent today and i really don't think there is one because you know old media is movies and new media is youtube but no one got excited when kevin hart did his youtube channel i'm sure it's great but like it's not the (laughs) same thing right (laughs) yeah yeah well i i do feel like like with with all the it this kind of goes it kind of goes beyond um because I, I feel like there are are films and then there are there are movies that kind of uh, are films that or the films that tell a story and then there's films that completely raise the level of of filmmaking in general right and uh, I feel like a lot of those a lot of these movies might not get recognized as well as they should if that makes sense but like um, but like I feel like this like Citizen Kane is like definitely like once in a generation type movie kind of like similar i i'd say like the next closest thing i can think of in terms of like its impact on on filmmaking in general is like star wars and then like i can't even think of one uh recently that that would have had the same effect other than I mean, maybe I've... if you like culminate like maybe avatar or something but that didn't actually have that much of an effect on the on the industry yeah. anyways I would say maybe the closest very current example is either Avatar or maybe Avengers, but even then in a yeah. very different way because those like have a big effect on the industry, but they don't necessarily have a big effect on the industry from a creative standpoint. Like Steven Spielberg or whoever whoever 2030s Steven Spielberg is didn't see Avengers and go, I need to make every movie that I ever make like that because I believe this is the most artistically valid choice. It's like Avengers is good, but it's good and its influence comes from, you know, how it shaped the industry. Citizen Kane, Mm -hmm. its influence comes from like how it inspired literally every movie maker that ever came afterwards. Yeah, and in such a huge way, it's... It's awesome. Um, and and I, I think Orson Welles really, like, I, I don't know what happened to him afterwards, but he, he really is, a, he really was a genius for the, like, producer, writer, actor, director. Mm. You know, like, how, I'm, how crazy is that? He, and he, might I say, did an amazing job as, <laughs> as Kane as well. I couldn't believe that, like, how much charisma, like, for a guy that, um, 
you know, I guess this was his first time acting on camera, but also he's maintaining all these duties at the same time, right? But mm-hmm. he put in, he put in like, like, uh, definitely like the best performance of the movie in, in, a, in a way that he was like on another level compared to everyone else. Absolutely. And, uh, and like, I'm just thinking like, how the hell is this guy doing this, like this amazing of a job acting while also like having to keep command of the set and direct each of these shots. It's, it's absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, did, and there, but that's not to say that there weren't a, a lot of other great actors though. Um, who did, would did say, anyone stand out to you? I mean, I don't think there was a bad performance in this movie. There were one or two that like weren't anything special, but there wasn't anyone that was bad. I would say the, probably the, the biggest standouts for me personally were uh, his friend, Jed, which is, um, man, can I, I, I can't find him. Oh, Joseph Cotton as Jedediah Leland. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, probably Dorothy Comingor as his second wife, Susan Alexander Kane. I thought that Jedediah, I thought that Jedediah Leland was like, if, if you were to describe any character other than Charles Foster Kane as the heart of this movie, I really think it would have been Jedediah or Susan Alexander Kane. Because like, Jedediah Leland, he's the he's one of the guys who uh, starts out in the newspaper business with Kane, and um, he really, really, really takes to heart when Kane says when Kane gives his declaration of principles, where he basically says, "I will never lie to anyone. No special interests will ever influence my newspaper, etc., whatever." And like Leland says, "This is special." I really like this and I want to keep that declaration if I can, because I think that that's, I think this is going to become a really important document someday. And so mm-hmm. you see me through his eyes. Like, I don't think that Char- Charlie Kane throughout the movie goes from being like a bright eyed young newspaper man to being sort of a bitter, bitter old geezer kind of, but like, I think with Je- with Jedediah Leland like there and interacting with him, you sort of see how he not only becomes sort of disillusioned by things, but just how he gets corrupted and how he like and like where that's where that comes from. I think he's a really good humanizing figure. Yeah, I I wouldn't say necessarily he he felt a little uh like i i guess he was kind of like playing the straight man to orson welles if that makes sense like he he felt like the only sensible character in the movie Um, yeah he's kind of the voice of reason because he's the actually incorruptible one yeah but he doesn't have like the the talent and the charisma of orson right but i feel Mm -hmm. like uh as is i think often the case with um i mean well i think i feel like we're ironically going to talk about this later with Mank, but I feel like a lot of uh, a lot of uh, like genius level people that that uh, uh, affect uh, the world in so many different ways really do rely on on certain people in their lives to to bring out their best work, right? Even if mm-hmm. those people necessarily aren't um, aren't producing the same work, it's like their criticism and their and their companionship really really help them and. Um, and Jedediah was that, was that for Kane. Um, and you, you could see that in a lot of ways, especially as, as their relationship declined. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was, it was really sad to see, honestly, especially with, 
uh, Jed, as an older man, I, I feel like he's he's become he also I I feel like in a lot of ways needed Orson. I mean, not Orson Kane, and that he he also is kind of not the same as he used to be, as we see in the flashbacks, right? Um, yeah, he, he seems kind of a a sad, not a sad old man, but a, a little a little cuckoo and like um, it feels like a man with a lot of regrets, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. So, and I honestly, his his role as the older man was was actually really really good. Um, oh, absolutely. I guess I he was he given did. a lot more to do. Mm-hmm. I thought he was, I thought that, especially as an older man, he had a lot of charisma, but like that has to do in, in part, I think in part, the reason that he had as much, you know, so much more charisma as an older guy than as a younger guy is that like, as a younger guy, he's having to play a character who's very, very proper, very straight laced. And, like, he's got his flaws, but he has, like, a moral compass. And as an older guy, he just gets to, like, not care. And so he just gets to sort of be a kooky older guy. Yeah, yeah. With an obsession with cigars or cigarettes for some reason. Yeah, Um, and, like, isn't he hitting on the nurses all the time or something? I can't remember. No, no, I love that that last scene he's in. He's like, uh, you know, you know how... uh, people used to say that no he basically he 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 had a really clever way of saying the nurses that were with him were ugly like right in front of them oh yeah i don't remember what it was either but i remember it was really funny Uh, he was basically i think it was just like you know that stereotype of how all all women are all nurses are are attractive well this place proved that wrong or something like that (laughs) um it was that was pretty funny and uh yeah, so he was good. Uh, Susan Kane, the second wife, was was really cool too. I think her character was actually, I feel like, pretty. It was a pretty progressive look at at uh, relationships, honestly, in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. And that she, uh, I think, she was obviously like the the character herself was like a young a young woman who was kind of just really out of her depth in terms of. Uh, realizing how what she was dealing with if that makes sense and she was kind of manipulated her whole life until she uh took a stance and and left that life right Mm -hmm. and that was a really it was really powerful to see that change from the uh the basically the really innocent uh young woman that's that's just like just like making herself happy right with like no care in the world to uh like this really depressed shell of a person that we that we kind of watch her becoming as as Kane basically doesn't really well I guess physically abuses her at one point um but it's very it's it's a very long toxic emotionally abusive relationship and uh that that was really I, I guess it was really cool to see in that like I feel like that's also a really relevant thing that um happens a lot nowadays too obviously not in the same circumstances but well, and I feel like the the most heartbreaking part of it is when she finally takes a stand for herself and like gets herself out of that horrible situation. She ends up in a situation that's I guess better because it doesn't have Kane in it, but other than that, it's not better at all. Like she's happy-ish, but like she's still all she can do is sing, but not very well. So she's in a job that like you know, like she's a lounge singer that 
and and she's not she doesn't seem like she's super passionate about it and mostly she just drinks all the time so it's like even after all of that she's wasted her relationship with kane led to her wasting so much of her life that she kind of never comes back from it even when she cuts him out of his life out of her life yeah well that it's so sad because like it, it's almost like she's basic she she's stuck in that she can't she could never get that her her initial life back because um well obviously like with Kane, she's she's depressed because living with Kane looks like the most depressing thing ever. Um, because you know, like she never saw her friends. Their house was insanely huge for no reason, and she had nothing to do. But I I, I think because she was raised with, or she she basically grew up and in, into full adulthood with so with so much um, excess and riches that she couldn't really go back to a normal life because she never really had to do anything for herself right so Mm -hmm. it's yeah it's it's really tragic i um especially uh, i think it's really cool that the movie actually goes to her first and then comes back to her closer to the end um which i i really think highlighted uh how how broken she was about like the whole thing Mm -hmm. so um so yeah she put in a great performance uh who was who was the other guy i the who was it like he was like the third guy in their group i can't remember his name i he had the think glasses. that was mr bernstein mr bernstein uh Which yeah, Everett I, Sloan. yep yeah that's who it was he, he was he was definitely i think like the the other one i, I want to highlight um he had <laughs> i loved his i loved how he he basically had a shrine to to kane and his place and stuff and uh, I think he, despite his, he looked old, right? I, I'm not entirely sure what the relationship was, but he was because he looked uh, older yeah. than them the whole time. He might have been. He was. I don't remember exactly what it was because the the Wikipedia article just says his an employee, but I think he may have been the accountant. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. Um, I I did love how. I think despite his initial appearance, he he's a very he was a very excited and like passionate individual when it came to when it came to Kane specifically, and it it was a cool uh, uh, <laughs> for for an entire movie that was like highlighting how Kane kind of ruined his life and like the people around him. It was cool to see someone that like kind of enjoyed uh, his presence on on the planet. So, oh, he uh, loved Kane. Yeah, and he he had a pretty cool performance too. As like, uh, the he felt like an excited child like the whole movie, and I love that about. Oh him. yeah, and it was a good good uh good kind of levity for um the darker I guess the darker uh parts of the movie in some cases, mm-hmm. um because this movie get does get really dark. It's actually like for some of the scenes are borderline like hilarious at the start that that first scene where um orison takes over the newspaper uh was so funny it was oh like, yeah actually like like chaotic and like i loved it felt like a classic um almost like uh this is kind of a weird reference but like you know like uh fred and we fred and george from harry potter uh, and how they like yeah. mess with the teachers and stuff kind of like that that's what kane and and jed were doing to the the editor-in-chief of the newspaper um 
and and uh, yeah, I, I love I love that. I love how a movie can go from uh, hilarious to really depressing too. It's a it's a cool touch and really hard to do, but it really works. Yeah, the the scene where they come in and take over the newspaper, where he just like I don't remember what the guy's name was at the newspaper, what his. Uh, but he he just says his name probably six times until the guy bumps into him and goes, what? And he goes, I'm coming into your office. <laughs> and then the way he just like, he ends up just living inside the office. Like he brings his, like all his furniture and stuff in there is so funny. Oh my God. They're still I'm... eating. I'm still hungry. <laughs> I wish, I, I really wish we got, like if I had to ask for anything, I wish we got more of those types of scenes at the start but i mean in terms of uh pacing because i mean i i feel like this was like a perfectly paced movie there was oh, very absolutely. i can't think of anything that dragged um maybe the ending a bit very very when slightly was, but when i was re-watching it i was surprised at how quickly it went um this is a two-hour movie and it hardly felt like it that's true it it, it did because i i feel like the the way the the short story thing actually really helps and the, the way it switches it up really helped it um mm. i don't know i don't know how to say it's kind of like uh like pulp fiction felt shorter than it, than it really actually was too and the way it i, I don't know I, I think it's the way if you when you divide the story in like bite-sized chunks right it feels like less of a less of an effort if that makes sense to consume the whole thing so the pacing automatically feels better mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, either actually, way, like, yeah, it was it was really well done. So I don't know. This was very close to like uh, an outs a perfect movie. I, if I've ever seen one. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I got to say, so like, I don't know. Do we want to keep talking that much more about this or do we want to go on to the behind the scenes? Because either way is cool. I have one question to ask you before that. Uh, let, let's go to your question. Sure. Okay. What was your favorite scene in this movie? Because I have a very, I, I have a specific favorite scene. Oh, God. I feel like some of these are, like, I feel like, because some of these scenes I've seen in, like, I've never, like, I've never seen them before, but I've seen them, um, how do I say, in, like, video essays, right? Where, where people, right. like, uh, show a little, a quick glimpse of Citizen Kane to show, like, cinematography and stuff. Um... I want to say my, oh God, this is a, you go first. I got to think about this. So my favorite scene in this movie, and it's a very small one. Like there's a lot of good scenes in this movie, but my favorite scene in this movie would be uh, where uh, Kane has just gotten married to Susan Alexander and he's moved to Chicago and she's opening an opera and she performs like the opera ends and at the very end, there's not much applause. And so Charlie Kane gets up and he starts clapping and he starts clapping louder and faster and just nobody joins in because uh. like it's I, I don't know. I don't know why exactly. But that scene says so much to me because like, like yeah, it's a slow it, clap. You know what's supposed to happen. And it just doesn't. It's like even though this man is the most powerful man in America, even though he ha he can have anything he wants, he can't have this. Uh, well, I I feel like there's a lot of things he didn't end up getting. I mean, the that's movie. the thing is there's there's a lot of moments where it's like, oh, even though he can get whatever he wants, 
this is out of his reach. And that's yeah. the that's not the first time that happens, but that's probably like the the most over the that's probably to me the most obvious. The the first time it happens really obviously that I caught. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it was definitely the start of his is or one of one of the big signs of his downfall, I guess. Um, I guess the real turning point was like the the when when uh, when he loses the election, right? Was he running yeah. for governor or president? I wasn't clear on that. It, it was governor. Okay, cool. Uh, which was like pretty sad. Um, I'm trying like. I would say, like, I, I want to say the last scene on it. Like, it's so it's so sad, but, like, or so, uh, a little cliche, too. But honestly, I remember hearing Rosebud was his dog somewhere. And this whole movie, I was like, where is this dog? Like, are they, are they really going to bring in, like, a dog in the last five minutes? And, like, out of nowhere, and I'm supposed to feel, like, some emotion for Rosebud? And... Yeah, so <laughs> that might have made that's. I think that made that scene so much better though, because I didn't realize that I like that it was the sled the whole time, and um, that might have helped me not look for it if that makes sense. So I'm kind of thankful for that. But honestly, like I really feel that that scene brought the entire movie together, even though it's not like a specifically a good scene. So well. Um, it is uh, it is very rare that someone goes into Citizen Kane not knowing. Spoilers: Rosebud is the sled. Yeah. I, that's <laughs> really interesting that you somehow like that 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 you heard that spoiler wrong and thereby actually somehow didn't have it spoiled for you. Yeah, I. But like when I saw the sled, it made so much sense, and then it actually tied the entire movie together to me because initially I just saw when I was watching the movie, I just saw it as a really good telling of a man who um, who starts successful, right? And then kind of gets corrupted along the way uh, from his own power, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, but then that that moment makes, made it so much more beautiful in that it's a movie about a man trying to basically capture his lost childhood. And it's like, it's, it makes it so much more emotional for me. So... I guess the other really question cool. the other question that I had, you've already been touching on it, so I'm just gonna have you like talk more. The the other question I had is like I wanted to know what you thought uh Rosebud meant to him. Because like what I one thing I really like about this movie is that there's lots there. I think I've talked about this in other movies before. There's lots there, and you know, there's enough that you can draw your own conclusions. But it never specifically says why Rosebud the sled was the mm. thing that he like was was the thing that meant so much to him. Like, there's a lot of different reasons you could think of, I guess. So I kind of just wanted yeah. to ask you, and you've already started on it. Like, what do you think that meant to him? Um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd still say it was like like his childhood, specifically. Like, I think it um, probably like like well childhood fun specifically and like i guess his mother uh and i I think that might be reflected in in how much trouble he had with romance throughout the movie right um because he was looking for like i feel like he was looking for uh to be loved by someone right and when he was younger the only love because i i think it sounds like his dad was kind of a bad dad right but his mother was the one that um was 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 the one that really cared for him 
And it was obvious when he said goodbye, like they specifically really pointed out that he was wondering why his mom wasn't coming with him on the trip. Right. So, uh, and I, I guess ironically, like the whole time is just that the parents sent him away to be able to experience and capture a better life that they could never offer him. But in the end, that's, that's never really what he wanted the whole time. And uh, so then it not only becomes a story of, of, like I said before, the corrupted by power and then not, not only about um, losing his childhood, but then also like uh, the lack of control he's, he's been able to have over his own life, which is kind of reflected throughout the movie in that he's trying to control everything else that he possibly can. But mm-hmm. the truth is he never had any control over his life and that makes it so much sadder. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, what What do you think? Well, I mean, I think that uh, I think my thoughts are quite similar to yours, but just I would express them differently. To me, like earlier on, uh, Jedediah tells tells the narrator that like that uh, what's his name? Cain was always someone who was trying to be loved, but only on his terms. Like he was always trying to prove something, and any time that he wanted to, and like he he was after love, but only on his terms. And I think to me, like, it sounds weird, but the sled is the only time he ever experienced love purely on his terms that, like, he didn't have to do anything about. Because, as you said, like, he wanted to control everything in his life when he he sincerely loved his wife, his second wife, probably his first wife, too. But, like, he also always had to be in control. And, like, he was unwilling to be to to see things from their perspective or on their terms whatever and with the with that sled he he didn't have to do that i mean the sled is an inanimate object it meant a Mm -hmm. lot to him and he had more fun with that sled than he maybe ever had with anything else in his entire life afterwards yeah and like the sled never asked for anything in return so like to me the fact like that rosebud is like his desire his desire for just you know a happy life the way he wants it but ultimately he is very selfish and it's kind of a it's kind of an expression of that selfishness at the same time that's crazy i I, that's what i love so much about that is that i think i didn't realize this before but um it's so open because like they even say it in the movie it's so like Every everything we say about it is just such a small piece of the larger puzzle, right? There's so many, there's so many things that Rosebud could actually mean, and I wouldn't say any of them are necessarily wrong. It's just all of the, all of them kind of combine to create what the hell happened to this guy, you know? Well, this is what I was saying earlier: how the movie puts together this puzzle, but at the very end, even though you know that his final words, Rosebud, meant this sled you still don't have that piece. So like you have enough yeah. to figure out what you think it means. And like, you, it's, it's not nothing. You can definitely interpret the movie, but it's, it's left open-ended enough that you can never truly know who Charlie Kane is because no one ever can. You can't summarize a, one man's entire life in one word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely... Um one of the most like one of the best if not the best open kind of open-ended ending i would say um because i i feel like a lot of open endings more like leave it on a cliffhanger right 
but right um but this was like this this was final in that like i feel like i got everything that this movie was offering is just up for me to interpret how i feel about it so yeah, yeah. whereas like <laughs> like the only the, the other biggest one i can think of is like inception which was amazing but like it's either one of one when he was dreaming when he wasn't right it's not much like there's a lot to think about but it's a very simple yes or no answer right where exactly. um whereas this is completely closed then but anyone can think of what they want and i think it'll mean uh just as much to each person what they think of so yeah hmm. crazy create how the hell is this movie 80 years old <laughs> and, and it's like still inspiring like like so much i haven't been this like into talking about a movie um for for a while actually i can't i can't think of the last one that was exciting to me uh i remember i remember i remember our apocalypse now episode was pretty long that's true i feel like that was partly just like like just the behind the scenes was just so crazy that um, that's true there was a lot going on but yeah actually there's a lot going on behind the scenes in this movie too yeah i was just about to say um do you uh you want to tell us a little bit about this movie behind the scenes or do you want me to start with that uh you go first okay um there's a lot going on behind the scenes with this movie and the first thing i gotta say is like 80 years on i do not think that it means very much whether or not this movie is or is not about william randolph hearst uh at the time uh this movie this movie charles foster kane was very uh, was was famously inspired at least in part by the care by the real person William Randolph Hearst, who owned several newspapers. I think at one point someone said like I think at one point I heard it said uh, that like one in every five Americans read a read a um, read a Hearst newspaper every day, and mm. he's also the source of that quote near the beginning where uh, Charlie Kane says. Uh, you supply the pictures, I'll supply the war. I think that's a real quote that William Randolph Hearst uh, actually said. Like, he was a very famous newsman that, like, was famous because, was famous in part for, like, legitimately creating the news at a certain point. Um, And he got very, he got very, very rich off newspapers and very influential. And, like, he got to the point where he even though he wasn't even though he never ended up holding elected office because he wasn't charismatic enough for it apparently he uh he was still one of the most influential people in the united states and um yeah apparently apparently like charles foster kane is based in no small part on william randolph hearst and the original uh script for this movie was called american instead of Citizen Kane, which is apparently what William Randolph Hearst called himself. Uh, that said, knowing what I know about William Randolph Hearst, I honestly think it's dismissive to stop analyzing the movie there. Uh, it's not dismissive to say that the movie is based on William Randolph Hearst, because it probably is, at least to some degree. Like, it would be almost insane to think it isn't. Uh, however... Like, there's so much cool stuff happening in this movie, and William Randolph Hearst is so no longer relevant in the year 2020 that I think that this movie is just worth talking about for 
a bunch of other reasons. Sorry, that's my William Randolph Hearst rant. Uh, the yeah, behind the scenes, this movie was um, written by a man named uh, what was his name? Herman Herman Mankiewicz, I think. Mankiewicz. Yes, we'll get to him Mankiewicz. later. And he was actually a. It's I don't know if he was a friend, but he had had many interactions with William Randolph Hearst. William Randolph Hearst quite liked him, apparently. Uh, potentially up until the release of this movie, hard to say. William Randolph Hearst never saw this movie, apparently, but also did not like it. Um, <laughs> I don't blame him. <laughs> yeah. It'd be like Mark Zuckerberg liking Social Network. <laughs> It'd just be really awesome I mean, to watch. D- does he, though? Like, do we do we know if Mark Zuckerberg likes that movie? Because, like... If I had to guess, I no, know. but I don't think he was publicly like, I hate this movie. He, he kind of made thing, fun of it a bit on SNL. The thing think, is, but, yeah. like... I think that um, what I've, I actually think that's actually a really good comparison because like the social network, I don't think that this movie paints Charles Foster Kane as an unambiguously bad person. It doesn't, you know, paint a super flattering for- portrait, but like at no point was I like Charles Foster Kane is a despicable person and therefore I must hate him. So, you know, by extension, I don't think those things about William Randolph Hearst just from watching this movie. I can imagine it would be very uncomfortable to watch as the person that this is based on. But, like, I don't think it's, like, a takedown or anything like that. And I think it's very similar for the social social network as well. Like, it's not a takedown of Mark Zuckerberg. It's not not super flattering. But, like, if I were Mark Zuckerberg, (laughs) I could still appreciate it, I feel like. I just, I think if I was uh, Hearst, I, I I don't know how self-aware he was, but I would feel pretty shitty if, like, I lived my life and then this movie came out that was kind of like, hey, you know, like, the life you had, this is, like, how you fucked up. <laughs> and then you just be, like, sitting there, like, not sure how to take it because it's not like you can fix anything now. Um, I guess if so, this yeah, movie, I don't know. like, I guess with this movie being about Hearst, by extension, if I'm William Randolph Hearst and I watch this, the movie is prophesizing that I will die lonely and sad, which is probably not something I want. So, yeah, exactly. So it, it'd be a little disconcerting to watch. In, I, in I that guess sense. that's I, I don't think he was necessary. He'd necessarily watch it and be like, "Hey, how dare they like be mean to me or something?" But I don't know. Who knows? Anyways. Um, yeah, yeah there, there was a, like the, the, the it was kind of an interesting topic to take on. Um, also, Orson Welles at the time was uh, I, I think we talked about how he was a a playwright already, right? A pretty famous playwright. But the thing is, is that he had so much going for him in that he uh, he he was I think twenty four when he made this, or twenty three, and then he turned twenty four. Yeah. I don't know, something like that, but like that's an insanely young age to be like uh, put in the director's chair for a uh, a Hollywood movie, especially at this time when like yeah, well, it, and also was so go- young. <clears throat> going into this, he had uh, he had one of he had probably the best deal that uh, that until that point at least any Hollywood director had ever gotten because uh, he. He came into this, he had been offered a, I think, two-picture deal with RKO, which is the company that made this, or the company that produced this. Yeah. Uh, 
He'd been given a two-picture deal with full directorial control, which, like, no one had at the time. Like, apparently people in Hollywood would have killed for full directorial control in anything, or even, like, partial directorial control in some cases. And he That's was a, still really rare too. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. He he came into this with full control, and he was allowed to work with anyone he wanted. And he came in with all of that goodwill, and spent like I think he spent like two or three years not making movies because they just kept not panning out. Because he had like two or three different ones that he tried to make, and they just didn't work for some reason. And then with this one, he finally. He finally got this one off the ground. And then I think the way that he convinced the studio to do it, if I'm remembering correctly, is he shot some demo footage and he said, hey, I've shot some demo footage for my movie Citizen Kane. Would you like to see it so that we can potentially, you know, organize funding? And uh, he showed it to them and it was not demo footage. It was like fully edited, ready to go footage for a few of the scenes. And they're like, oh, well. I guess you started without us, so sure, just make your movie then. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Like, uh, I, it's crazy how he basically made Hollywood a bitch for, pretty much, for a movie. Yeah. I, I don't know how long that lasted because, like, from what I heard, the movie didn't do very well in the box office and it wasn't uh, received this... that well initially, but... Yeah, and the thing is, I think that it wasn't... I think that a lot of that is because William Randolph Hearst took personal offense because William Randolph Hearst was the newspaper guy at the time. And like, uh, apparently his, his company made a deal. Well, not made a deal, but told theaters, if you show citizen Kane, that's fine. Go ahead, do it. But if you do, we will never advertise for you ever again. Don't even, don't even write to us. So like several theaters just, couldn't show that wouldn't show this movie uh a lot of theaters like booked it and then never showed it so like it would have so like at a studio level they wouldn't have even known it wasn't doing well until it just actually until the box office numbers came in and just weren't there um and a lot of the reviews were in newspapers which were controlled by william randolph hearst so even though this movie this movie was appreciated by some critics at the time, clearly, because that's part of who makes up the Academy Awards. And like, it was nominated for six Academy Awards, but it didn't win except for screenplay. And beyond that, like, it didn't do very well as a movie and was pr- shelved pretty quickly because no one could see it. Wow, that's, I actually had no idea that, that sounds terrible. What the hell? So like, so... It's, um, it's cool how it still won Oscars. It won an Oscar, right? Was that Oscar? It won. It won one Oscar for screenplay. Yeah. Okay. And um, which is, I guess, fair. I don't know. The, the screenplay was probably the best part, but the screenplay was the best part personally of the movies I've seen from this year, from the 14th Academy Awards. I think it should have won more, but I'm biased because I'm pretty sure I've seen two movies that are on this list. So, like, it it kind of doesn't really even matter. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, um, what else was there? The there was a lot of uh conflict over the 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 script credits, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mankiewicz originally had agreed to uh write the script and not be credited for some reason, but then when he was finished, he did want to be credited, and Orson Welles was not very happy about that. 
Um, yeah. Well, partly I, I hear it's because uh, him in the studio really wanted to project the idea that he was a, a true auteur slash genius, right? Mm -hmm. um, for the time, a young genius specifically. So uh, they were doing everything they could to make sure that he was seen as like a visionary so that I'm guessing they could sell the movie more and uh, keep keep him as a uh, as a future like money maker for for other movies that yeah. would come after. And like I gotta say, having seen this, even now knowing the story of Mank, uh, I still think Aus Orson Welles is an auteur slash genius for this movie. Like he didn't put it together a hundred percent himself, but he did enough of it, and he was convincing enough in it that like. I really think that this is definitely, I, I really think this is his masterpiece. And like, I don't say that just because it's the best thing he's ever done. Like it is an incredible movie. And a lot of that is because of Orson Welles, if not most. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a little ironic that how the, I feel like the story kind of pans out uh, of Kane uh, pans out very like, there's kind of a parallel between that and Orson Welles and that, Orson is refusing to, I feel like refuses to acknowledge that, uh, that there are certain people that, um, that made his, that make his work just better. Right. Um, mm. and it's similar to how Kane kind of pushed aside Jed, even though, um, like I think Jed or both Kane and Orson are geniuses, but like, obviously I think it's, it's not unreasonable to have people, assisting you in such huge endeavors right so yeah um it is it is a little <laughs> ironic how that worked out and, well i've uh, always thought but well, I, I will say i i do agree that orson was um pretty great yeah and deserves all I, the credit he gets yeah i i want to say i i wanted to say i've always thought but always means like a week in this case i really do think that like um <laughs> i completely forgot what i was gonna say oh sorry man <laughs> Oops. I cut you off of it. That's my bad. No, that's okay. We'll we'll just move past that and uh yeah. well there was well, back crap, there was one other thing I was gonna say quickly. The it it is a little interesting how Orson never made a movie as good as this though afterwards. Um I mean it would be hard to talk, but the truth is he didn't uh he didn't come out with something it, it seems like anywhere close to like the same level as Citizen Kane. Um Though I'm not entirely sure. See, but... at the same time, many of Orson Welles' movies after this are considered classics regardless. Uh, like, I don't know. Did he, I don't know if he ever won an Oscar for Best Picture. Uh, I think he may have uh, with The Magnificent Ambersons, which was his next movie that came out literally the next year, actually. Um, oh, wow. But... Uh, um, I think I think his last movie actually just came out two years ago on Netflix because it was just unfinished, but someone finished it. But I don't think he released a movie maybe ever that was poorly received. And many of them mm. are considered classics. Uh, actually, yeah. uh, to tie this back to our other 1941 episode, Touch of Evil is considered a classic film noir, which is a movie that he made in... I think 1958. Yeah, 1958. Uh, it is uh, oh, cool. classic film noir. That's a. Uh, I, I don't know. He made film. I mean, would you consider Kane noir? 
what what is it? Is there just no? I wouldn't. It's a bio, biographical biographical pick. If if I had to like assign it a literary genre or like a film genre, I would call it like I would call it like either. I mean, I guess it's kind of a biopic, except that it's not about someone real. Or I would call it like maybe an epic, except that it's not long enough. So I don't really know what I would call it. But it's definitely not a film noir because it doesn't really have any of the hallmarks of it. Oh, okay. Um, crap. What was the next thing I was going to say? <laughs> uh, I guess, I I, I, I guess this kind of... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was... You no, know, you say what you were going to say first because I might... No, I was going to segue into the next topic. thing. Oh, I oh, was yeah, going to say, was, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say it might help to talk about the behind the scenes a little bit if we talk about a movie that just came out that was about the behind the scenes of this. Mank. Yes, directed by David Fincher, released on Netflix like a month ago or two weeks uh, ago. I think it was released two weeks ago. Yeah. Okay, and and it depicts it's a depiction of uh, the co-writer, which was was Chris Mankovich. Um, Herman kind Mankiewicz. of that's his name. Her, Herman Mankovich. Is it Mankovich or Mankowitz? Vich, right? I say Mankowitz. It's probably actually Mankowitz. Okay. Or Mankovich. Mankovich. Um, and, and it kind of depicts the process of him working through the screenplay of Citizen Kane while flashing back to his past and kind of sort of like it, it's kind of a story of how he came up with the story for for Citizen Kane, I think. Hmm. I, it was a very confusing movie for me. I'll just going to put that out there. I, I, uh, I didn't really get it. How, how do we want to talk about this? Do we want to talk about Mank first, or do we want to talk a little bit about David Fincher? Do we want to sidestep uh, into that? I, I guess uh, I, I, I just probably probably just Mank first, because um, I feel like yeah. David Fincher is like another thing entirely. But sure. the like, did did you get this movie? Like the what what it meant? Because I was honestly very confused for a lot. Of I it. thought it was fine. Uh, watching this movie and coming out of it. I do not fully understand why this story needed to be told. Um, I guess it was cool to learn a little bit extra about the behind the scenes of Citizen Kane because I hadn't watched a do- I hadn't watched documentaries about that at that point. But like, I didn't really care. I gotta say, so I yeah. don't think I really got it. No, it it kind of felt like a. Well, first of all, I it it did feel very. Um, sort of elitist if that makes sense or not maybe not elitist but just it felt like a movie that um similar almost similar to the vein of once upon a time in hollywood that uh it feels like it can only be appreciated by ultra ultra hardcore movie fans if that makes sense yeah. in, in some I, senses or, or maybe not that but like uh um like the hollywood the general hollywood uh society um would appreciate these things because so it talks a lot about kind of the state of Hollywood at the time. Um, and also what was happening sort of politically at the time, but then it's also a story about a, a, a struggling screenwriter, which we've seen so, com- so commonly. And it's a bit about like fighting over movie rights and stuff like that. It's a very Hollywood movie. Yeah. And um, it's sort of, I cannot remember anything today. Uh, anyway, continue. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, um, so yeah, I, I just didn't like the the I guess the the sort of 
hmm, how do I say this? It, it, it did feel like elitism. It felt like I was watching, it was almost like I was watching David Fincher going like, you don't understand this. Just in, just watch and try to understand what you can. And I don't really care if you do or not, basically. So uh, I could I can definitely see why he wanted to make this movie with Netflix because this would honestly probably bomb in theaters. I don't think I don't think many people in theaters would really enjoy this. And uh, I think that's kind of a, the flaw of uh, of the streaming service uh, method is that. Um, they directors like Fincher will get so much creative freedom that uh, he can make any movie he wanted. And this, this basically, it, it felt kind of personal to Fincher and that it felt like a movie that uh, he made because he wanted um, similar to, I guess, the trials of the Chicago seven, he wanted uh, Herman Mankiewicz to be more recognized and the story to feel more uh, respected in, in the legacy of that is citizen Kane. But as someone who, I mean, I watched Citizen Kane before I watched this movie, so I got, I, I understood the references and stuff, but this movie would make very little sense, I think, to anyone who doesn't already have a really good working knowledge of Citizen Kane or has recently watched it. And beyond that, like, there's just not that much that's that interesting about it. Like, the thing that I had watched right before Mank was Citizen Kane. And it is unfair to contain, to compare honestly anything <laughs> yeah. to Citizen Kane. But on the other hand, like Citizen Kane is so interesting from so many perspectives and Mank is not. So like, I don't, I kind of just watched this movie and I was like, why should I care about this movie? It's a movie about a guy that I don't care about, which uh writing a movie that is great but like that i've never wondered that much about the behind the scenes of and uh as far as filmmaking goes it's not bad but there's nothing super special about it either so i mean that's harsh but also i didn't really i that's i mean like i said earlier i don't know why this movie exists yeah, I, like even even if David David's like or Fincher's point of the movie was to get me to to care more about Hank Mankiewicz, I really didn't care for him. Yeah, um, it's a it's a it's a it it feels like a character study movie, but I get very little. I, I'm not interested in in Mank at all. Like, yeah, it's weird because like, it's a character study, but like. And it's a character study of Mank. Like, there's no... It's it's clearly of a, a character study of him. Yeah. But the most interesting characters in the movie are uh, his nurse. Um, what's the guy's name? Uh, William Randolph Hearst. And to some lesser extent, Amanda Seyfried. Yeah, who was the Hearst's daughter, right? Uh, Hearst's, I think, possibly mistress. Okay, I was I was kind of confused at at the role mm -hmm. she played. She was um, she was playing Marion Davies. Like, oh, who was? Because I I, I uh, personally, without understanding it very well, I I kind of got that her and Mank were sort of attracted to each other, but like they obviously like they would never do anything about it. If that makes sense, I I don't know. Hmm. But do do you uh, know like what role she played? Sorry. She was playing a character named Marion Davies, who in real life was the was is commonly thought 
to be the inspiration for Susan Alexander Kane. Yeah, which they highlighted uh, in Mank, sort of. Yeah, the two are actually, scene. like, I think both Mank and Orson Welles have said several times since Citizen Kane came out that, like, no, Marion Davies is actually a great person, and we had no intention of <laughs> bringing her down with this movie. That She's not the inspiration for this person. However, Marion Davies' relationship to Will, uh, William Randolph Hearst was very close to the relationship between uh, between Charles Foster Kane and Susan Alexander Kane. Yeah, there were so, some very remarkable similarities. Exactly. It was kind of interesting to see, I guess, because I probably wouldn't have uh, known that if I hadn't seen Mank, mm-hmm. um, which, which was cool. And I, I think uh, Amanda, Amanda Seyfried is that, uh, yeah. played it really well. She was actually one of the better actors in the movie. Um, that I found she was very charismatic in the role and stuff. And I, even though I didn't really care for her character, um, she, she brought me in with the charisma, even though, yeah. So it was like, she was fun to watch, but I cared nothing for the character. So it was basically the writing was useless, I guess. I don't know for, for her, but she yeah. did pretty good with it. She, she did a lot with it. She, she was yeah. a very good actress here. Yeah. And then the only other one, obviously Gary Oldman was amazing. Or not amazing, oh, yeah. but he did a he did a pretty bang up job um, considering yeah, he, what he, he has to great. work with. And uh, but other than that, like I, I wouldn't necessarily say the the acting was anything in particular. Charles Dance had this weird thing where it was he was kind of switch. It felt like he was switching between accents at any time. Like I wasn't. It felt like he, it might be. It might be because I like uh, I've seen him in Game of Thrones and stuff like that. But he felt. It felt very much felt like an English dude trying to pretend to be American, which was a little jarring. Uh, yeah. During the movie, um, unless unless his character was British at one point, but I, I don't think that was the case. And Ian Randolph but he, was not British, so he yeah. Shouldn't. So he, but he, I guess he he played himself. He he played himself. Uh, so he was he was all right, I guess. And uh, yeah, other than that, like a pretty. I guess Lily Collins was all right as the nurse, or not the nurse, the typewriter girl. Um, she kind of had a, a cool role, but she also didn't really have anything to work with. And uh, yeah, like other than that, like I wouldn't even say it's just a surprisingly lame movie from David Fincher. His first movie I, in six years, and I, I very I actually have very little to say about it. There's nothing really good that sticks out, and nothing really wasn't like terrible. Like technically, it's all right, but like. It's just boring. I didn't care for it. Thing too is why is it just all right? Like, I mean, I wasn't necessarily expecting a masterpiece here either because like, I mean, I don't know, but like this movie is in black and white and that's a deliberate choice. And when I, I I remember reading about it, like he wanted it to look like something that could have been from the time and it Mm. didn't at all. It was so sleek and like, it was all in, 16.9 and it just looked it looked so nice and it does like I didn't want it to look crappy but it sort of felt like by looking by the movie being presented so uh cleanly so like well produced it ended up being sort it ended up sort of taking away from any effect that the the black and white and the potentially interesting choices in this movie could have had 
So I just sort of wonder what's the point. And there's so much in this movie that just makes me wonder, like, why is this? What is this? Because, like, I didn't think the screenplay was that interesting. I didn't think the characters were that interesting. I thought that the cinematography choices and, like, the um, the presentation choices were just not that interesting because they had this device too, where anytime it would be, there'd be a flashback. uh, It would be presented like by a typewriter coming in and like writing out uh, exterior, whatever the next place was like exterior theater, 1943 flashback. And I'm like, Oh, that's a cool choice, but there's never anything else. Like that was just there. And they just did that a few times instead of tying that in somehow. And like, again, I hate to compare this to Citizen Kane because wow, what an unfair comparison. But like <laughs> in Citizen Kane, when they make choices like that, like when they have the newsreel, the newsreel is presented at the beginning. And like, I don't know if you know this, but in the 40s, like in front of movies, they would actually have a newsreel. So like, this is the equivalent of Tropic Thunder have like in Citizen Kane, when they have the newsreel at the beginning, it's basically the equivalent of Tropic Thunder having its role of movie trailers at the beginning to make you like wonder whether or not the movie is even starting and then go, oh shit, I'm missing something. And then in this, like the most interesting choice they have, they don't even commit to. Yeah, I it's I thought like I thought the screenplay like aspect, the typewriter thing would have something else important uh that would come in later but uh yeah it, it was like nothing really added up and um i don't know it just feels really unambitious in so many different ways and uh it's it's kind of ironic i feel like citizen kane was a relatively simple story done like, like uh to to perfection if that makes sense um and then this this felt more like an ambitious script that basically failed in almost every aspect uh, in terms of what they were trying to do and kind of half-assed a lot of things. Uh, specifically, I, I, with, the, with the choice of black and white, I don't feel like it added anything to the movie at all, um, especially like what you said, they, they filmed it in 169. So uh, it, it, was a very, it was a very odd contrast when you, you have... A, a very clear presentation, but then it's in black and white to reflect the the way films were made in that period. And then also the audio is was manually um, adjusted to make it sound more to sound basically worse, like more cannier uh, to reflect how audio was <laughs> was taken at the time. But then they shot it on digital in sixteen nine, and it's just like such a weird like commit to that or don't. It, it makes no sense to me. And uh, exactly. it's, it's, <clears throat> it might be, I, I don't, it's kind of hard. Cause I was really, I was kind of interested to see how Fincher, cause Fincher has amazing cinematography and shot choices. And, uh, that just, he did not, uh, I thought, I thought it would be cool for him to, uh, to use all the, all the stuff he's learned using the regular format and then apply it to a, a forties made looking film. But uh, he he basically shot the movie he would now, but applied like the black and white filter and called it a day. So like this movie, this movie, the black and white 
make tries to evoke Citizen Kane, but honestly, I get Pleasantville out of it instead, which I don't know if you've seen that, but like it's uh it's a movie with Toby Maguire from the early 2000s, I think that's mm-hmm. about an old black and white TV show and it's not even veiled. It's very clearly about racism, but like they go into a black and white TV show and just live in Pleasantville. And like that movie is there. It's in black and white mostly. And they're in an old sitcom and like, it's shot very similar to this in, you know, what would be normal for the nineties just in black and white. And yeah. like, it works in that because that's not really what the movie's trying to do. Like the movie's not trying to be an old, an old sitcom. It's just, that's one of the devices it uses. But with this movie, like if it's not trying to look like it's from the forties, what is it trying to do? Because I don't, I don't see any purpose to those creative choices. It almost, it almost feels like Fincher shot the film in color and with regular audio. And then after, like hey you know what uh this would look way better in black and white and with shitty audio so then they like manually made the audio shittier and then and then they just yeah applied the black and white filter because like also there is like when you watch the lighthouse and even citizen kane some of those lighting choices are amazing to watch and uh like they i can literally not think of any shot that took advantage of the black and white at all completely just nothing there there were some cool fincher shots but that doesn't apply anything to black and white so so the black and yeah. white format so it's just uh it's just i i don't know why i it feels it almost i want to say fincher this is definitely like fincher's worst movie that i've seen maybe not alien 3 but <laughs> um it's pretty bad uh, i also and, gotta say though like i know that the this is a movie about citizen kane and it references Citizen Kane a lot. But I really wish that the references to Citizen Kane weren't just in the content, but were really more in the movie making style. Because like Citizen Kane has some incredible fades and scene transitions and just like some really cool things that at, at that time hadn't even been done before. But since then are not necessarily that hard. And this movie doesn't have those. Like it doesn't reference that cool shot with Jed with Jed's flashback that I mentioned earlier. It doesn't reference like those big single like single shots where you know Orson Welles is doing something insane for 5 minutes and they just let it and they just let the camera roll. It doesn't there's no visual references. It's all like, "Hey, remember when he said that thing? We're going to say that thing too." <laughs> Yeah, I feel like there was like a lot of potential to to mix it more with Citizen Kane, and I just think like it's like he was asking to have this movie received poorly. In that, like, I feel like if you're making, because if I was to choose, I would hope a good director when they were like making a movie, kind of in like in dedication to Citizen Kane in some aspects, that it would be like amazing, right? Just as Citizen Kane was, but um. You know, it, it just it it wasn't, and I feel like it's made worse because it's it's almost like it's in direct comparison to Citizen Kane the movie, it, especially in terms of the the non the nonlinear storytelling, the kind of almost episodic uh, scenes, and um and and the biograph obviously like the biographical storytelling like uh 
it's just like what Finch, David, what were you thinking, man? Like, come on. Can I say it's... something? Uh, can I say something really mean and sure. uh, also very controversial? Sure, go for it. Mank is Ready Player One, but instead of like video games and '80s references, it's Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah, I guess. And unfortunately, Ready Player One contains references that a majority of people like and understand, whereas this Mank really does not. Like, uh, dude, like some of these scenes, it's like there was there was like long scenes talking about the politics happening at the time, which felt completely like or very unnecessary in terms of I, I feel like they didn't set it up that well and it didn't really lead anywhere that well. And the scenes themselves were not interesting. And it's just like uh, that's a lot of the thing It's just like I feel like this movie might have been better if it was more concise and what it was trying to tell. Because I feel like there was a story there in terms oh, of, sure. I think the general, especially I like the way it wrapped up at the end. Um, it had a pretty relatively good ending, funnily enough, but it seems like it's kind of the, it's cool in that it features kind of like where he got the ideas to write Citizen Kane and like his his mindset. But then also it's kind of the his redemption from being kind of this, uh this writer that's given up on life and he he sees himself as a complete loser for for having to write movies right but by the end of it i feel like he's uh he's grown his his confidence and he's like evaluated his life and been like um i i want to take i want to be proud of myself and take responsibility for my work which is kind of it's it's kind of a cool i like that theme it's it's a cool theme and the way it's reflected in the story is is uh, interesting because I never would have thought this is why he didn't want credit for Citizen Kane in the first place, right? It's so uh, it's an interesting uh, character plot, but I just did not care for a lot of these scenes because they either weren't explained enough for the context to mean anything to me, or um, I I didn't feel like they added enough to that general plot or character arc to really. Uh, feel required to to be made into the movie there is a surprising amount of potential in this movie and it just sort of like gets wasted yeah for sure um which is like just to be clear i i don't think this is like like uh the worst movie ever if that makes sense it's it's just it's disappointing because fincher is definitely one of the best um directors of of this um of our generation if that makes sense of this decade of the past two or three decades right and yeah, for sure. um, and to have uh, to have like one of one of uh because it is this movie feels special too and that he hasn't made a movie since 2014 um and like this movie, movie has a lot of sentimental value to him too yeah it's this is obviously <laughs> especially because it feels like he's not telling anything. You can tell this is specifically something he cares about because I feel like this is not a story many people would care about telling. No one's going to make a movie about Mank unless they really want to tell that story. This isn't yeah. something that just gets like pushed on to someone. So, I mean, like, I just, I'm not entirely sure. And there, there's a lot of talent behind this. Like, it's not just him. Like, Gary Old, like, he got, uh, he had a quite an impressive, Okay, maybe not a great cast, but he had Gary Oldman, who is like, 
almost like guaranteed you're going to get a great starring performance. Amazing starring oh, yeah. performance. And like Charles Dance didn't turn in his best performance here, but Charles Dance is normally a fantastic actor too. Like yeah, Charles there's, Dance. There's no one in the bad movie. in this movie. I mean, I'm not going to say they were all winners in this movie specifically, <laughs> yeah. but all of the acting here is, all of the acting talent here is good. All the acting is solid. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who are like, uh, made the score, and they have made uh, a lot of amazing scores in the past. They're one of the best. And I'm the gonna, music was all right, but it didn't really stick I'm gonna out to I'm going to be honest, though. Either. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross is a horrible, horrible uh, like pick for that movie, specifically. Yeah, it did feel, because they're, from what I've heard, I, I don't know how much of their music I've heard, but I've I've listened to their... I'm a massive fans of their social network soundtrack and the Watchmen soundtrack, which came out last year. Um, and the vibes are obvious. It felt like very technological and progressive music, right? Uh, well, borderline, and like, like rock punk esque. And this is well, completely I gotta say, different. I don't know if you are familiar with their other work, but like when I think 1941, I don't think Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, I, I haven't listened to Nine Inch Nails, but <laughs> from it's what like, I know about them, they are very different than this type of music. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I don't necessarily think the score was bad either. It was just... Uh, it's fine. It's just a it weird right. choice. And then I don't, I don't think Fincher... The, the, the music felt kind of muted, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it never really... It felt more like a... Uh, a, a background soundtrack rather than a guiding force for the editing um, and stuff like that. So that was uh, like so much talent just kind of uh, wasted. So uh, yeah. And, but I, I, I don't, I don't feel like this movie has like tainted venture for me. Um, and the same, in the same vein, the tenet is in some ways ruined Nolan for me. Uh, I, I feel like uh, it's almost like Fincher just doesn't really, care about making new movies anymore if that makes sense uh that's potentially pretty harsh which well it, it's uh i, I guess it's because i i've noticed just he he seems a lot more focused on um other pro like t like tv for example i thought house of cards when he was involved in it and um uh, mindhunter which which was on netflix uh and uh it came out two or three years ago i think we're both like really really good pieces of work and very very fincher-esque right um and the only like they they felt very much more in his vein whereas this didn't and it's kind of like it's almost like he 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 didn't like make this because he really wanted to if that makes sense he made it because he could um whereas i I feel like he might be looking at tv as like the sort of medium that he might want to be more involved in uh in the future yeah because that's where most of his work has been focused on lately because like in this I, I get what you're saying. In the same vein, like, I don't think you can make this movie without being passionate about it. But on the other hand, like, it just does not hold up to, you know, the social network and Fight Club and Zodiac and Seven or even Gone Girl, honestly. Like, it's it's fine. And mm-hmm. I feel like this is a story he really wanted to tell. And that's why it ma- it was made. But also, like, I don't know. He didn't bring anything special to it like he did with all of those other movies. And it's really strange because, like, 
I mean, I think he was, he definitely enjoyed making Gone Girl, but like, he didn't make Gone Girl because he'd grown up as a young boy wanting to tell that story. He made it because it was something that the studio put it and it gave to him. And he said, this would be neat. Like, yeah. but this, but, but Mank, like his dad wrote this. He's wanted to make it since 1997. Like he's passionate about this project. What happened? Maybe it, what if, what if it was the, cause if his dad wrote it, I, I feel like he might not have wanted to edit it, if that makes that sense. He wanted to, to be released in his dad's vision. Because uh, from what I can tell, like he, he's not a writer, right? But uh, David Fincher is, is really, really good at taking a, a script and elevating it um, to all sorts of levels that you might not have. Because like, in my opinion, like Aaron Sorkin, for example, uh, none of his recent work has been as any like it's just like the social network is on another level compared to all of his other work and um i think that might have been his scripts are and that's because his scripts are great but as a director he has trouble making his scripts work as well as they could where david fincher you know he can take an excellent script and elevate it further yeah so like this might have been uh just he wanted to leave the script alone and that's the script is where I would say the majority of the problems lie. Um, and that might have been tough to to go from there. But but like as I said earlier, I don't think this like Tenet for me, I, I keep going back to Tenet, but like I feel like there's a similarity in that it feels like like both these directors kind of let me down this year, right? Which is really sad. Two of two of my favorite directors kind of let me down. But Nolan, it felt like he was kind of had his head up his own ass and that he was taking everything he had before, but then it's like his ego got out of control, right? Whereas this movie just feels like, I think Fincher still got it completely. It's just like something wasn't, wasn't there either. It's either the script, he didn't want to edit the script, so he just made it as, as it was to, uh, to accurately reflect his father's vision or that he wasn't really interested in making the movie but he saw the opportunity and figured he'd do it um, anyways. And that I don't uh, know. But he, he wasn't truly passionate about it in terms of a filmmaking aspect. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry. I, sorry. Was gonna yeah, say, I don't a... know. Uh, I don't know how um, how skillfully I can tie it back here, actually. But I think this does sort of uh, bring us to a good spot that we can close out on. Because, like, what is clear from watching mank is that like david david fincher was given a lot of creative control here i don't think netflix interfered that much with this movie and like um that's kind of similar to citizen kane like orson wells was given literally as much creative control as he wanted and citizen kane is uh is a case where it really worked and like i think that part of the reason that it really worked is i mean Definitely Orson Welles is a big part of that reason. But a part of that reason is that Orson Welles was able to bring in people that he wanted and he chose very, very well who he should bring in to help him work on this. Mm-hmm. And with with Mank, I mean, I you know, if he was given as much creative control as I'm led to believe, I'm sure David Fincher had similar options there. Like he could also bring in whoever he wanted. And like, I don't, I guess I don't think he chose very well. Uh, 
Mank, like Mank was brought in because he was the best screenwriter. David Fincher's dad is dead. So he wasn't brought in at all. This was a screenplay that David Fincher's dad had already made. And like, I don't know if anyone edited this screenplay or not, but I don't think they edited it that much. And like, the screenplay was not perfect. It was fine. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't perfect already by any stretch. He brought in a bunch of actors and they were all good, but like not all of them could live up to the performances that they needed to do. Uh, And like, finally he made some decisions that were just not good decisions. So like, I think this is, it's kind of interesting how, uh, Citizen Kane is a movie where Orson Welles had complete creative control and it's maybe one of the best movies where that's the case ever. Even if you don't think it's one of the greatest movies of all time, it is easily one of the greatest movies where like an auteur director was able to do whatever they wanted. And like with Mank, we also have an auteur director allowed to do whatever he wants and he makes and what he wants to do is make a movie about citizen kane and it's fine yeah so i think it's interesting that like you get both ends of that spectrum talking about the same movie basically yeah and <laughs> oddly enough it kind of parallels the citizen kane itself or himself in that uh it's it's honestly quite dangerous to just give one person complete control over a project right um and i think this it might be a problem in the future looking more and more at uh studios like netflix where i love i I do love how they give creative control right but with the lack of concern for uh like maybe box office returns and stuff like that and how it performs in the future it's just like i think it's just a problem like no matter how good you are i think if you're not taking feedback and like being told no sometimes you're not going to come out with the greatest product possible and i i think this has been reflected like with nolan with fincher with tarantino last year um i'd say Most even with, famously uh, with george lucas george lucas yeah with uh scorsese with the irishman um so i i think it, it'll be interesting to see the future but it's just the truth is i i feel like we're not going to get a plus material um, when we have these amazing uh, directors just working and being able to do whatever they want with really no concern for the consequences. Um, I think like, I mean, I'm always in favor of just letting the directors do whatever they want in principle. But the problem is that like what they want kind of has to include, has to acknowledge the fact that movies are a collaborative effort. That's why mm-hmm. Citizen Kane works is because Orson Welles brought in the best people and collaborated with them. Yes, he was a major force in that and did and like he as we already discussed, he deserves all the credit he gets for that movie. But like he didn't make Citizen Kane in a vacuum. It's not a one man show. And like when when you get all of this creative freedom, you know, you have to know where the creative freedom has to stop and that's got to be hard to do because i'm sure that david fincher has no interest in compromising his vision whether that ends up being for the best or not yeah yeah that's true um and just like citizen kane uh you need to have uh 
good people around you to do your work with, just like uh, you are to me, Jeff. So thank you. Oh my God. And hopefully I am to you. I hope Absolutely, so. Absolutely, dude. Oh, such a whole, I like wholesome way to. And I think it. with that, that's a, that's a pretty good place to end yeah. our longest episode. And I mean, basically our mid season finale, we're going to keep going. We'll probably, you're going to get another episode next week, but like, <laughs> yeah. This is the this you is a place where we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna stop for a bit, uh, or not stop yeah. for a bit. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna call this our mid season finale because like how do you top Citizen Kane? I think the next honestly, I think the next episode we should do is just either one or two episodes about movies that came out this year, just in general, or movies that are coming out next year. You know, we'll do a bit of a preview before we actually talk about another movie. Yeah, that'd be cool. Kind of a a year closer. Even though this was a very odd year for movies, be interesting. Yeah, oh, also, I mean, uh, wait, what's coming? Dude, Wonder Woman and Soul are coming out next week. I'm so excited. To oh my get god! Actual movies released. <laughs> it's been so long. It uh, has blockbuster been. movies too, not like streaming movies. So uh, that'll be kind of cool, actually. Maybe well, I mean, be for Soul, next, next year though. Soul is a streaming movie. Well, like, uh, how should I? Like, Soul was intended for theatrical. So yeah, it's a, yeah. So it's a cinematic movie. It's not like a Mank, which is more like made for streaming. Right. I guess uh, one last thing, like because it, it feels weird to give Citizen Kane uh, a, a rating out of ten, but we've done it with every other movie. Like, what do you think? Let's let's rate Citizen Kane and Mank. What do you what do you what do you what are your thoughts, Pierre? Uh, mm, God. I'm gonna go with I think Citizen Kane is really hard to write. Uh I'll I'll go Mank for Mank I will say is like probably a four, unfortunately. Um I'm gonna like, put Mank had at, some cool technicals oh. and like uh didn't really but just wasn't any wasn't much there. Yeah. What would I'm you gonna say, say for, for Mank? I'll put it at a five because a five is average and I thought the movie was average. Average, yeah, makes sense. Um, and then for Citizen Kane, I think because I don't want to rate it with like knowing that it's like seen as one of the greatest movies of all time. I want to say it's like a nine. I think it's like one of the highest I've rated on this series so far. Maybe only Inceptions have been higher, actually, than what I remember. Um, but yeah, it, it's really tough because yeah, like I have said before, it's. <laughs> It, it's such an old movie that I feel like a lot of the revolutionary things I've seen before about it. So um, it's just a really, really solid movie despite everything. So yeah, nine, it, it is very close to a perfect movie. There might be a couple parts where it drags very, very slightly. Um, and a couple characters I wish I, I fell in love with more, but um, great movie. Amazing movie. Nine. I would say, like I can't in good conscience in good conscience give Inception a 10 out of 10 if I don't also give Citizen Kane a 10 out of 10. Not that Inception <laughs> is worse, but like I mean, you can you can debate that whatever you want. For me they're both yeah. 10 out of 10s. Like I thought I I know the context of it a little bit and I'm trying to like keep myself away from that. But even if I divorce myself from like why people like this movie and like consistently rate it as one of the greatest movies ever made, if not the greatest movie ever made, if I com- if I try to forget that, and it's very hard to do, but like if I try to forget that, I still have to say that like 
this is on the long list of the best movies I've ever seen. Like, is it my, it's, it's not my favorite movie ever, but I think that it was, I, I'm thoroughly impressed by how well, even the aspects that are only revolutionary for their time still hold up today. Yeah. It's, so, it's a yeah. very impressive movie. It's, it's tough. Cause yeah, I was honestly, I was exception too. I was like, is this movie better or, I was trying to figure it out, but yeah. So like, I know that it's, it is the least surprising thing in the world for a random movie reviewer to say Citizen Kane is a 10 out of 10, but like people don't say that for no reason. I really do Mm -hmm. think that it is a very, very good movie and like deserves to be acknowledged as such. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And I don't know what you were expecting, but I was not, I was not expecting to like this movie as much as I did either way. So same. Um, yeah, I'm happy I watched it. So yeah, uh, I guess we don't have a movie for next week, right? To to say, but yeah, for next week we don't have a specific movie. Uh, it kind of depends uh, behind the scenes on when we record the episode for next week. But I think next week we'll either do a year in review or like looking forward to 2021. I've got a couple of ideas we'll talk about behind the scenes. Cool. And uh, Jeff, what's the what's the last word? Rosebud.